the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service now has a special presentation of the independent living of the Genesee regions Meet the Candidates Day 2022. This originally took place on Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. It features candidates from the Genesee region speaking on issues um, affecting those with disabilities. Please stay tuned. Good morning, everybody. Um, you turn your volume down. Our first speaker is here. Uh, before we get started, welcome to Independent Living Genesee Region's annual Meet the Candidates Night. Um, our first speaker is a candidate, Jennifer Keys. Um, a little housekeeping. Jennifer is going to talk a little bit about her platform and her position um, and why uh, our, her, our vote is important. Um, and then we'll ask some questions. Um, bear with us if we've got any technical issues. We're just getting started. Thank you. Jennifer, go ahead. Thank you very much. Um, are you able to hear me okay? I'm using my headset. Yes, we can hear you. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Um, so my name is Jennifer Keyes. I live in Leroy, New York, and I am running for assembly in the 139th district. I am a social worker by trade, um, and I am a mother. Uh, and also have been married for 31 years. I have been involved in local politics uh, since I moved to Genesee County 15, 16 years ago. Um, and I decided that it was time to run at the state level because as a social worker, I see a lot of systemic barriers that affect not only the people that I serve currently in my work position, but also my neighbors, um, and I would like to see some positive change at the state level that positively impacts our quality of life, uh, which would include, you know, addressing homelessness um, and accessing medical care and appropriate services as needed from, you know, birth to death. So that's a synopsis. Um, and it went much quicker than I thought it would. So I would be very happy to take some uh, questions. Oh, actually, one of the things that I was thinking about was that as I've been on the campaign trail, one of the biggest issues that people have brought up to me has been the crime rate. Um, and so that is definitely something that I am concerned about. As a social worker, I do work in the community um, and I'm very concerned about everybody's safety. So I definitely would like to take a look at what the reasons are that after about 10 years of a pretty steady decline that we've started to increase the crime rate again and address it as appropriate. Right, any questions? Jennifer, can you talk about what you think the most important issues are in our area? Um, in our area, I believe that the most important issues have to do with our economic livelihood. We have um, a very significant uh, percentage of our property value is invested in taxes as compared to other areas of the state. And I think that we need to address that. That's very costly to us and, and not conducive to home ownership, which I think is part of the American dream, so to speak, and has been for a long time. Um, I also see, as I had stated before, a lot of systemic barrier, barriers to accessing services that um, some people need, whether it's early intervention services for kids who, for whatever reason, are behind in development or um, accessing services in the community for kids who have, and adults, everybody who has uh, developmental disabilities, um, accessing income when you're disabled, and also, you know, having a job that is able to meet your economic needs overall. Um, <clears throat> Ms. Keyes? Uh, a great many people with disabilities depend on services from human service agencies, such as Centers for Independent Living, as is the one that uh, you're appearing through the courtesy of at the moment. And we're wondering, 
What are your spending priorities in the New York State budget that would help support these organizations? Well, I would really want to know what you think the spending priorities should be. From a personal point of view, I can tell you that um, a lot of my professional experience is in the mental health system and then working with, for example, the Department of Human Services. And then in my personal life, in the developmental system, trying to access services for my 19-year-old who is eligible. Um, I know that in those systems, there are a lot of barriers and definitely not enough funding to keep um, staff. I would assume that you face some similar barriers, just, you know, according to trends in the social services field. But I would definitely want to know from your point of view as somebody who's living it, what what deficits there might be and what you think the priorities should be. And that's what I would support because it's what it's your lived experience and that's what's important. As a social worker, I have to really collaborate um, with a lot of different service agencies, levels of service from the state on down to local levels. I also have to collaborate with each of my individual clients, right? And they all have individual needs. Some are similar, but a lot are different. That's how I approach everything. I don't have all of the answers. I don't have all of the lived experience. I want to know what is important to people. And I am an advocate by nature. That's how I get things done for my clients. And my constituents would be my clients, right? You are paying my salary. That's what I'm going to work on, what you think is important. If I can interpret uh, something that you were just saying about the way that you work with people, I take it that you're largely able to avoid the trap of many mental health professionals in terms of just talking to each other and assuming what's best for the consumer rather than dealing with the consumers themselves. Absolutely. Absolutely. Actually, it's, it's kind of ironic that you would say that because I just had my performance appraisal review about it finished about half an hour ago. Um, And that was one of the things that was on my review, which I could totally sound like I'm bullshitting you because you weren't there, but it was that I, I meet people where they're at. Like I'm, I'm the parent of a consumer, right? So that makes me a consumer as well, especially since I've had to do all of the advocating for him because he's not able to, I, I'm not interested in people telling us what we need. We live it. And I don't live my client's experiences. So I can only talk about what I do live and then take the input from the, uh, from people who are living a different situation and advocate for what they need. What I identify as a need isn't necessarily what you identify as a need, but we both have very legitimate needs that need to be met. That's an excellent uh, stance to take. Just wondering, have you had much success in convincing fellow professionals that they should listen to consumers of mental health services? I have. I, well, I've been in the field for a while. I've been, I really should look at my resume to this so I can like tell you exactly how long I've been doing this, but mm-hmm. I'm going to estimate about 25 years. And over that time, I have been successful in, did I, are, is everybody still here? Because I'm only seeing myself and the interpreter. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Everything moved around. So I thought that meant that people got kicked off. I apologize. Um, so I have been fairly successful. Um, I have, as I started my career off um, working as what we call an RTF transition coordinator. It, RTF stands for residential treatment facility with what is currently known as Villa of Hope, what was known as St. Joseph's Villa uh, back when I started here. Um, The residential treatment facility was an office of mental health run 
uh, residential cottage for, at that time, adolescent boys who really struggled to live in the community and go to community schools and like that for a variety of reasons. The point of the RTF transitioner, transition coordinator position was to be able to facilitate a successful transition back to the community, right? So that involved being able to, and by the way, um, our OMH region, our Office of Mental Health region covers 19 counties. And throughout my time as the transition coordinator, I touched 17 of those 19 counties. And as I'm sure you can imagine, each county has different resources, right? Um, so I had to be able to communicate with the people in those counties to learn what the resources were to be able to talk about what the needs of the child was. I also had to be able to communicate with the family and identify what the family's needs were in order to be able to successfully bring their child home. And I, I was pretty successful at doing that. That's where I started. And I have taken those skills and used them all along, even when I was the village board um, in Leroy, and I continue to use them daily. I, I don't always say things the right way, uh, which is a source of embarrassment for me. However, I am not afraid to say things and to speak up and make sure that people are feeling heard. And no matter how many times it takes, no matter how long it takes, because like I said, your perspective, your lived experience, any individual in our district's lived experience is true um, and it's valuable. And we need to be able to, to hear people. In my opinion, government is a service that dispenses services. And we need people in Albany who are able to advocate to point out based on the input that we're getting from our community, what it is that's needed for the people in our community to be successful. Jennifer, a, a question from the chat. Uh, can you tell us what makes your candidacy different from your opponent? Um, I would say background, definitely. Uh, the things that I'm passionate about are different. Um, I have been knocking on a lot of doors regardless of party affiliation um, and listening to individuals regardless of party affiliation. We have very different lived experiences and um, from what I can see it, just a different approach to doing things. I, as your elected official, however, I would be a member of the majority in the assembly. And that puts me in a position to better advocate with my democratic colleagues about what the specific needs are for our district because they are vastly different than downstate or really even vastly different than neighboring districts. Great. Any other questions from the Zoom room? Um, that one. Oh, Zoom, I'm uh, we've got a question here at ILGR. Go ahead. So what are your thoughts on homelessness and what do you think would improve that and fix and make better for these people that are homeless? So one, I actually deal with homelessness right now on a daily basis. It is at an all time high in regards to my career. Um, and part of the reason for that is an increase in uh, uh, rent, uh, but not an increase in income. So for example, if you're disabled and you're receiving income from the county in the form of temporary assistance, I heard a statistic that I wish I could remember. I just remember it being really unfathomable, unfathomable to me. Um, the state has not raised the rate for the income of an individual that needs assistance from the county in something ridiculous, like over 12 years. Um, so right now you get $440 a month from the county and that's not enough for rent anywhere. I mean, at this point, it barely gets you a room in a rooming house. So those issues need to be addressed. Um, 
I'm sure that, you know, being a landlord, it, it's a business and there has, they want to make a profit. Plus I'm sure they want to put for the most part money back into their properties. Um, so I, I get that piece of it, but there has to be some kind of a balance that allows people to access housing and still be able to eat. Or if there are fortunate enough to be working and they have a car to be able to afford to keep the car on the road so that they can get to their jobs. Um, I know right now, a lot of what uh, the barriers, in addition to what I already said, some of the barriers that the folks that I work with face um, are if you receive social security. So if you receive supplemental security income because you are disabled then you don't have a work history. Um, you can't access the services within the homeless network that are designed to help you find some place to live quicker if you have any money in your account. So even if you have a representative payee, but you have a balance in your account with the representative payee, you have to spend down all of your money and um, provide receipts for literally every cent that you spent in order to get referred for those homeless services. And that's a HUD thing, that's a federal thing that I've been talking about to um, with our current um, representatives at the federal level, but also with the candidates um, for our area at the federal level, because that definitely needs to change. What are your thoughts on transitional housing? Like if there was, low income housing for people to be able to go into that runs along with the amount that DSS gives them and yeah. they're stable to move into housing. I, I work with people who are in transitional housing now. I, I, we don't have enough of, we don't have enough transitional housing. We don't have enough permanent supported housing. We don't have enough housing that meets the, that meets the income requirements of many folks who are homeless. And that is something that needs to increase. Absolutely. I am totally in support of that. And I know, I don't know, um, I know that in Genesee County, we often send people to Monroe County to access homeless services because we don't have enough of it in Genesee County. I'm not sure what it is going to take to attract the services to Genesee County, uh, but I'm all in for getting it done because when you take somebody who is already facing one of the most stressful times of their lives and then you displace them into a community that they're not familiar with, that just increases the stress and just, it, it, it really makes the cycle worse instead of making their situation better. And unless we can meet people where they're at and make their daily situation better, they're not going to be able to get out of the cycle. If I could work a question in here. Um, could you tell me if you're elected, what you would do to address the home care and direct service professional crisis? Um, people with significant physical disabilities are having problems being able to keep uh, community assistance and aids employed because of the wages paid to them. Um, uh, the big campaign for this is be fair for home care on the aid side. And the DSPs ha have their own campaign about, uh, they ask for 11%, they got 5%. Could you tell us what you do to help alleviate the, the community service crisis? So from my experience, we have a lot of levels of government that I just don't get what they're doing to positively impact our daily lives in situations just like what we've been talking about all along. And that would include what you were just saying, Todd. Um, I would like to evaluate that and see if there are levels that we can trim so that we can have more monetary resources so that we can meet the, the income needs of the people that we need to be providing the direct care services. So it isn't just the home health aides. We're seeing it with my child in the developmental system, trying to get people to provide ComHab or respite. We're not finding people. And 
they have even increased wages a little bit there compared to home health aides and we're still not able to find people. These are really tough jobs that people are not getting paid enough to do and that's why we don't have enough workers. It needs to be addressed across the board. Thank you. Any other questions in the Zoom room? Any other questions? Uh, the Go ahead, Erin. The thought occurs to me that uh, something you brought up when I asked my first question was <clears throat> what our priorities might be for state funding to the organizations that actually assist them. And for a number of years, New York State's 40-some Centers for Independent Living have been pressing for an increase of $5 million in their allocation. Would that be something you would support? Yeah, absolutely. We, I see that as being part of what I had just answered before, where I, we spend a lot of money in taxes in New York State. We do. I mean, that's common knowledge. Um, and a lot of people use that as a reason why um, businesses don't come here and why um, some people leave New York State, right? So I would like to see us better use the money that we are getting from average folks like all of us here um, to better meet needs across the board of people in our community. Absolutely. I, yeah, if you've been asking for this money, my approach is that you need this money and we need to figure out how to provide it. I mean, why, why else would you be asking? I mean, nobody asks for money just to ask for money. There's, there's, gotta, there's a reason. Well, I don't think that, especially when you're funded by taxpayers, I mean, I, maybe I'm a little idealistic, I don't know, but I work for a not-for-profit. We don't ask for money just to ask for money. And so I assume that that's the way that others operate as well. There's a need and we need to figure out how to fill it. Thank you. Any additional questions? Jennifer, would you like to make any closing remarks? Um, I do have a Facebook page if you're so inclined. It's Jen Keys for New York 139. Um, I also have email, which might be better put in the chat um, if you can give me a second because it is kind of long. Um, wait, let me do the right one. It's keys for the 139th at gmail.com. Um, and absolutely am very interested in um, whatever feedback people have. If you think of other questions or if you have something more specific that you wanna add, feel free to reach out through the Facebook page or send me an email. I appreciate it. And I definitely am looking for I, I have, a, you know, I have some of my own agenda that I've already outlined, but I also am looking for what people want. That's what I do as a social worker and need. Excellent. Thank you for your time. Um, Thank you very you, much. I appreciate it. We're going to let you go. And for those folks on Zoom, uh, we've got a, a pair of videos from a couple candidates that they submitted. They were not able to join us. So if you bear with us for a minute, we'll get those loaded. Thank you. Bye. Have a great day. For great farmers. They all taught me the Hi, my name is Senator George Burrell, and I'm running for re-election to the 57th Senate District. First, I want to thank you for inviting me to address you. I have the utmost admiration for those of you who are overcoming great challenges in your quest to remain independent, and those of you that are working every day to support that goal. I have represented the 57th Senate District since I was elected in a special election back in November of 2019 to fill a vacancy. The 57th District is changing slightly due to the redistricting. New parts of the district will include Genesee and Wyoming counties. These areas will join Cattaraugus, Chautauqua, and a portion of Allegheny counties to make up what will be one of the geographically largest Senate districts in the state. I'm a native of Western New York. I grew up in Fredonia and graduated from Fredonia High School. I come from a working class background. My dad was a plumber, my mom was a hairdresser, and my grandfathers were great farmers. They all taught me the importance of hard work, being true to your word, and serving your community. They also passed on to me the entrepreneurial spirit. 
Right out of college, I started my own business, selling products to the hospitality industry. I merged my business with another company and worked there leading the marketing division for many years. My wife, Kelly, and I are also in the hospitality business, owning and operating Sunset Bay Beach, Cabana Sam's Sunset Bay Grill, and the Sunset Bay Beach Club, which are seasonal destinations. And we also own an Italian restaurant, Bellagio Italiano Pizza and Pasta, which is open year-round. I entered public service at the local level back in 2010 because I saw our region struggle. Our area was losing its young people to other states where there were more opportunities and lower taxes. There was increasing blood in our downtown areas. Growing opioid substance abuse was devastating too many families. And lack of broadband access was leaving our school children, residents, and businesses at a major disadvantage. I spent a total of 10 years in county government, eight as a county legislator and two as county executive. I was proud of what we achieved in my time in local government. We delivered balanced budgets and cut taxes without diminishing services. We created a multidisciplinary task force on opioid abuse that strengthened our county's response to the crisis. And we implemented innovative shared services programs which saved taxpayers money and actually won awards. As a state senator, I worked to bring a focus to the problems of our rural communities. One of the biggest issues we face is access to healthcare. As our hospitals close or cut back on services and a number of healthcare professionals declines. One of my first fights as this new senator was to try to save Lakeshore Hospital from closing. This hospital filled a vital need in the area and had one third of the mental health beds for our entire region. However, it couldn't stay afloat financially, so even though our advocacy delayed its closing, without more financial help from the state, it was forced to eventually close its doors. I'm working right now to help other hospitals in, in this region that are experiencing similar challenges. This area will continue to focus for me going forward. Residents of our rural communities cannot be expected to drive two hours for a doctor's appointment or medical procedure. I've also worked to remove the obstacles preventing broadband deployment in our rural areas. On that front, I'm pleased to say we've had big success at the state that the Burning preventing rural broadband projects was repealed in this most recent state budget. Another area of focus for me has been agriculture. As the ranking member of the Senate Agriculture Committee, I've traveled around the state talking to our farmers about their operations, particularly the challenges that New York State has created for them. One achievement that I'm proud of is helping to spearhead the effort to get the Farm to Food Bank program Nourish New York enacted into law as a permanent recurring program. This program provides funds to food banks, it benefited thousands of farms and millions of New Yorkers. I've been consistently saying that it is the state to better fund its programs those with disabilities, including independent living centers. Everyone deserves the opportunity to about their own life. Well, this is some of that individuals with disabilities will often deny the opportunity to make their own choices and to live independently. This was a long control over their lives. When it comes to the state budget and funding for independent living centers like yours, I support increasing funding. These services have been severely underfunded for about two decades, while the cost of providing service has risen dramatically. Funding for ILCs increased in this year's budget by 1.6 million to a total of 16 million. This is the largest one-time increase ILCs have received in several years. However, <clears throat> because of years of disinvestment, there's still ground to be made up. This is why I support what you were advocating for, which is a $5 million increase in funding for ILCs in the upcoming budget. The demand for your services keeps growing, and with more funds, you can help more people. And helping people to live independently makes good budget sense as well. Based on our current data, every for every dollar that's invested in ILCs, it produces $9 in savings to the state. If we can help New Yorkers live independently and save taxpayers money as well, the decision to increase funding for ILCs is an easy one. The other area of great concern is the shortage of home care workers. I know that many individuals with disabilities who need aid services to help them live independently cannot find enough people to help them. This is primarily because of low wages. Close to 20% of home care jobs in the state are unfilled, and that need is only increasing. Wage increases approved in this year's budget have just taken effect, which is a positive step toward addressing the shortage of workers. However, it just isn't enough. I support the Fair Pay for Home Care proposal, or something comparable to that, because those who care for our most vulnerable residents shouldn't be making the same pay as those who work in jobs with not nearly as much responsibility. As a state, we need to send a message. 
that those that are in the caring profession are valuable. And the best way to do that is to alleviate our worker shortages by paying them a fair living wage. Again, I want to thank the Independent Living Centers of the Genesee region for this opportunity to introduce myself. Uh, I also want to thank you for the important work you do every single day to help those living with disabilities to live their lives to the fullest. And to those residents served by your program, I want to say be proud. Be proud of your efforts. Your commitment to independence and self-direction is not only helping you live a better life, but you are blazing a trail that will help those that come after you. You are all an inspiration. Thank you. Great, we're going to queue up our next video in a little bit. Jason King, Chair and Associate Professor of the Clive Davis Institute of Recorded Music, Tisch School of the Arts. <laughs> Good morning, Dan Brown, candidate for New York State Senate. I am 56 years old. Uh, my wife, uh, Marcy, is a school administrator for the city of Salamanca. Uh, together, we have four children. Our oldest, Kate, is a employee for the Social Service Department of Cattaraugus County. Uh, our son, Avery, is a head diesel technician in Springville at a, at a truck dealership. Um, our other daughter is just starting high school, and our fourth child is in middle school. So I am a third-generation farmer. I took over the operation, and my father passed away unexpectedly when I was 27, and uh, I've been in charge of that ever since. Um, I am a town supervisor here in Great Valley. That position I, I was asked to run for and uh, defeated an incumbent, and I've, I held that position uh, from 39 uh, years old to present. Um, I also am the chairman for the Cattaraugus County Town Supervisors Association. Um, I'm also a member of the Cattaraugus County Planning Board, a former member of the Cattaraugus County Farmland Protection Board, and um, I am the president of the Green Cemetery Association located here in my town. So uh, while I... Uh, my tenure at the town of Great Valley, uh, I've overseen many things that... Uh, um, never took place prior to me being the supervisor. We now have a comprehensive plan. We have a zoning plan, zoning laws. We've never had that before. Uh, that was one of my first goals uh, when I took office uh, some 17 years ago. Uh, I also uh, reevaluated this town. Uh, I was the first one to do that. The town of Great Valley had never gone through a revaluation, and uh, I oversaw that. Um, I also implemented um, a new assessing department working with Cattaraugus County uh, real property tax to create a, a system that is now used by 16 towns and uh, more towns will be will be going online on that system also um, we um, we also have a youth program in my town that runs a summer program we have about uh, anywhere from 45 to 55 60 kids uh, on Monday through Thursday on programs uh, we also have a senior program in my town that uh, when I took office it was just our town uh, the neighboring towns had no senior program we included them in our program uh, working with those towns we now have five neighboring towns that uh, make up our senior citizens um, association so we um, uh, a couple other things that we've did here that I, I think you'll find interesting. We started the food pantry a few years ago. I was approached by a young man just out of high school, going to seminary school, asking if he could um, uh, start a food pantry program in the town of Great Valley. Um, I didn't think it would really be needed and, and successful as it was. And uh, in a good way, it, it is very successful. In a bad way, I'm, I'm sad that it needed to be. Uh, it was It was certainly a need that I was not really uh, totally understanding but uh, understanding the point now where we're adding on a about a 3,000 square foot addition to our municipal building uh, breaking ground in the spring to house that food pantry and part of that food pantry also uh, uses um, uh, medical equipment wheelchairs walkers uh, any anything like that where families have uh, no no longer need uh, we offer that equipment um, as more of a borrow type thing for for families that can't afford and and uh, to get that kind of equipment so that's another item we we um, we offer there um, during my time here I oversaw there's there's actually two locations in our town uh, for the uh, at our town hall, we have a handicapped uh, accessible lot uh, that uh, I was responsible for, for creating and building. Uh, 
Uh, also went along with voting uh, for handicap accessible voting. Uh, in my town, uh, Great Valley is made up of two communities, actually. The hamlet of Kilbuck uh, has its own post office, which the town actually owns, and uh, the rent goes back into the, the town budget. Uh, but there's another fire district down there, the Kilbuck Volunteer Fire Company, and that is called District 1. District 1 votes down there. We uh, had to create a handicapped accessible area for that um, to to uh, take place, uh, as we did at the, at the present location, District 2, which is uh, where the town hall is located. So uh, I understand disabilities. Um, my mother had a two-plus-year battle with Alzheimer's, uh, and we kept her home. Um, we had additional help, but I was one of the main caregivers for her while running the farm, while running the town. So I understand um, the needs uh, when families have that kind of a crisis, when they have that, that I hate to use the word burden uh, because we're taking care of one of our loved ones uh, when that happens, but any help that can be, can be given uh, at that time, I think it's absolutely necessary, uh, whether it's local or county or state, um, anything that can help uh, relieve the family and, and give them assistance um, uh, is is critical. Um, and that's something that I would certainly strive for as your senator, certainly try to get uh, any help we can possibly get and, and fight for these items that are so needed uh, when families are suffering through a crisis like this. Um, I would appreciate any support. Um, I think I'm a little bit different candidate than most. Uh, I, I'm a seven day a week kind of guy. Um, there's no stopping. Uh, anybody in my town or my county will attest to that. Uh, I, I go out uh, anytime somebody needs me, uh, I'm there to, to help. Uh, and that's how I plan on running this district. I'll be out, I'll be in the communities, I'll be at the fire stations, I'll be in the schools, I'll be at the libraries. Um, that's how I handle things. It's hands-on with me. Um, I don't pass the buck. Never have, never will. I think that's one of the things that I, uh, I've been able to hold this job in Great Valley with no competition. And uh, my conservative values, I think, uh, come out and would be uh, uh, greatly... Um, admiring in in this district uh, i am small town i am rural uh, i realize we have larger metropolitan areas in the district uh, the city's the only in city only in city of salamanca uh, seneca nation um, jamestown dunkirk fredonia batavia um, warsaw uh, oakfield even uh, so I, I get that but uh, um, all in all what i deal with day in day out here for 17 years is exactly uh, what other communities um, could expect when uh, when they have me as their senator so i appreciate this opportunity to meet you this way i apologize it could not be in person there's just uh, many many functions going on this week uh, and i'm actually i have an event that i committed to over in Dunkirk for tomorrow. So I uh, appreciate it. And thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you. Good morning, Dan Brown, candidate. Okay, Todd or Mark or somebody, do we want to talk a little bit about what we have uh, going on in Todd or Mark or somebody, do we want to talk about what's going on in Niagara Falls on Thursday? We have a little bit of time before our next candidate joins us by Zoom. Okay, those guys probably stepped away from the microphone a little bit. Um, our next candidate is Steve Hawley, who's running for the assembly in the same district from the one we just saw. Um, he'll be joining us at 12.30, so if you need to take a break, this is a great time to do that, and we'll be back in a minute. Actually breaks your good things, aren't they? Mm -hmm. Don't they talk so fast? Oh my gosh. <laughs> well, not both for him. It yeah. talks too fast. I was impressed with uh, Jennifer Keys. Yes. I, I've, I've never seen her before. Mm -hmm. and I didn't know she was like from the business. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but she, she knows what she's talking about. She knows about. what she's talking about. She's on the right term.
Okay, Steve, can you hear us? I can hear you. I'm in my vehicle. Uh, I'm uh, going to attempt to do this, and uh, it's great to be here. Okay, well, thank you. Um, you've got people at our offices in Batavia and in a Zoom room. Um, ladies and gentlemen, Assemblymember Steve Hawley. Steve is going to start with some introductory remarks and talk about himself and, and why votes for Steve are important. Um, and then we'll open up the floor for questions. Go ahead, Steve. All right, great. Thank you. Um, I'm serving in my uh, 15th year uh, as the New York State Assemblyman uh, for the 139th District. Uh, as I like to tell people, I was in my mid-20s when I first ran. That's supposed to bring about a smile and laughter. Um, and so uh, the district currently is going to be a little different uh, when we get to January 1st, if I'm, whether I'm successful or not. Uh, the current district is four towns in Monroe County, uh, the town of Riga, which includes the village of Churchville, the uh, town of Sweden, which includes the village of Brockport, the town of Clarkson, just north of Brockport, and the town of Hamlin, so the west side of Monroe County. I'll be losing the town of Riga and Churchville in the new district, but I will pick up some other areas which I'll highlight. Uh, I'll continue to represent all of Genesee County, and I have born and raised uh, and have raised my family in the town of Batavia in Genesee County. Um, then uh, I'll have all of Orleans County for, for the next election. Right now, I don't have the town of Shelby. Uh, they were taken out 10 years ago, but now they're back in. And I'll also pick up one town in Erie County, the town of Newstead uh, in Erie County. Uh, includes the village of Akron, of course. Um, my background uh, is uh, I'm a, I was a business major in, in college and uh, came back to uh, at the University of Toledo, uh, came back to uh, Genesee County to run the family farm. Uh, I ran that uh, until I hurt my back uh, in an injury and uh, then got into the insurance business um, after that and have been doing that ever since. Uh, a good portion of my clients are uh, farm, uh, farm operators, as well as ancillary farm-related businesses, uh, plus lots and lots of individuals. Um, I was elected uh, to the Genesee County Legislature uh, in mid-1980s, late 1980s, and served eight years in the county legislature. Uh, I was, when I was elected to the Assembly, uh, I was on the Genesee Valley BOCES Board of Education. I've also uh, served on the Genesee County Planning Board, uh, served as United Way Chairman for Genesee County. I'm a member of the Rotary Club in uh, Batavia. And uh, I also served on the uh, uh, your Board of Directors uh, for a number of years prior to being elected uh, to the State Assembly. I serve uh, on a number of committees uh, in the state. State Assembly. I'm currently the Deputy Minority Leader. I also serve on Veterans Affairs, the Agriculture Committee, the Insurance Committee, the Ways and Means Committee, and the Rules Committee. Uh, it's been a great, great uh, honor for me to be able to represent my neighbors and uh, certainly uh, standing up for uh, folks with disabilities. I will tell you an interesting story and then I'll uh, pause. <clears throat> Excuse me. When I, uh, when I was on the county legislature, I worked for an insurance firm called the Sherwin Agency uh, after my injury on the farm. And uh, our office was on the second floor uh, above where the city church is in the city of Batavia now. Uh, there were 17 steps to get up those uh, stairs. And I received a visit from the executive director uh, who had disabilities. And uh, she uh, gave me a little grief about the number of stairs up to my insurance office. Uh, but uh, soon thereafter, I bought that agency. Uh, I moved our office uh, down onto Main Street, one level. And um, our current office is, is very, very accessible for folks with disabilities. I would tell you also very quickly that because of my back injury, uh, I've been in a wheelchair several times and have been able to um, understand very, very well 
the physical and psychological impacts of not being able to get to places uh, and planning out my route, knowing where I had to go. So um, in a small way, I'm, I'm certainly uh, cognizant of uh, what, uh, what folks with disabilities go through, uh, whether it's physical or other types of disabilities. I'm also a longtime supporter of the Association for uh, Retarded Citizens. Uh, and my sister, unfortunately, uh, was uh, hurt in a very bad tractor trailer accident in intensive care for uh, two months uh, and had a long, long road to recovery. Uh, so I became more aware of her dilemma of uh, being disabled as well. She currently, to this day, 15 years later, uh, has a handicap parking permit because I'll leave it at that. Great, any questions? Starting with the Zoom room. <clears throat> questions here? I have a question. Go ahead. Uh, Steve, what is your uh, stance on the Bail Reform Act? There's no question that the uh, bail, uh, uh, the way it was set up, uh, needed some tweaks. Uh, unfortunately, it was a major overhaul. Uh, we all have seen, uh, not only in our communities and rural communities and cities and villages, but especially in our, our friends to the east and to the west, in Buffalo, as well as in Rochester, the dramatic increase in very serious crimes. Uh, my biggest concern with that is that there seems to be no respect for one another any longer among many people. There seems to be no respect for uh, folks who are in a position of authority, whether it's school teachers, whether it's police officers, whether it's corrections officers. Um, and there seems to be no penalty uh, of any serious consequence for folks who are breaking the law and committing crimes uh, against all of us in our neighborhoods. It was just recently, unfortunately, uh, Mr. Zeldin running for governor who uh, lives in Long Island and Suffolk County uh, in a house just like most of us live in, uh, one way or the other, uh, just a regular neighborhood. Uh, there, was, there were four gang members that uh, had a shootout in front of his house. And uh, two bullets came within 25 feet of his twin daughters who were at the kitchen table studying. And one individual who was wounded uh, was underneath the kitchen window 10 feet from his daughters. So I'm a firm believer in that if you have done something and it's incorrect, uh, you need to pay, uh, pay for what you've done in one way or the other. But yes, uh, certain bail elements were folks who have committed minor crimes uh, and were not able to uh, raise bail, $500 or whatever it was, uh, they should not be retained uh, and incarcerated for minor offenses. But the kinds of things that we're seeing now, shootings, homicides, rapes, et cetera, and shooting of our police officers uh, is absolutely un-American. And we re need to reestablish law and order and bring back and make it a reality that crime does pay as opposed to crime doesn't pay. Thanks, Steve. You're welcome. Assembly member. Yes. I, know, I know you were a big supporter of fair pay for home care, which was the, the movement to increase pay for home health workers. And I know you're a big supporter of the development of disability community with direct service professionals. Right. But the steps that we took are kind of first steps. And we still have a crisis in people being able to work those jobs and be in the community. We're still chasing entry level wages for at retail and fast food. So what can you tell me that you do over the next couple of years to continue the drive on getting wages? Yeah, uh, well, uh, when they raised the minimum wage uh, for flipping hamburgers um, and left so many others behind, 
especially as you mentioned, those with direct care responsibilities for our most vulnerable. Uh, that's the wrong message to be sending to people. Of course, unfortunately, these days it's tough. We have so many job openings uh, and folks don't seem to want to work. <clears throat> uh, that is not the case uh, for those that work with developmentally disabled. Um, we need to have uh, folks that have those kinds of hearts and those kinds of minds uh, who are laudable in their pursuit of caring for others uh, paid uh, correctly. Uh, the COLAs need to be uh, uh, instituted. The drive for five should have occurred. Uh, and of course, every day that goes by uh, means that uh, folks in direct care are not uh, being remunerated correctly. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, uh, no matter who gets elected as governor, uh, I'm working with Mr. Zeldin, but, uh, and I do know that he's a strong supporter of, of uh, what we're talking about right now. Uh, and I would hope, uh, whether it's uh, our former Congresswoman, Kathy Hochul, uh, but I do know that Mr. Zeldin will, uh, will fight for the same things that I've been fighting for for years. And of course, I will implore Mrs. Hochul if she ends up getting reelected to do the same. Steve, I have a question. Do you have an opinion or position on the overturning of Roe v. Wade? I do. Um, <clears throat> and I was interviewed uh, a number of times uh, in media, uh, both television and radio. Uh, I also had a number of press releases. The overturn of Roe versus Wade merely meant that the Supreme Court of the United States believes in states' rights. And that's what the overturning of Roe versus Wade did. It said this is not a federal issue where we decide for all 50 states. We want states' rights, the individual states, to make up their mind about this very controversial issue. The state of New York, will this will have no impact whatsoever on the residents of New York State because it's codified in law already. And no matter who the governor is, regardless of all the television ads and the mail that you're receiving, it doesn't matter whether it's Mr. Zeldin or Mrs. Hochul, neither one of them will be able to change what's codified in law. I was asked whether I supported or what I thought about Mrs. Hochul's uh, statement right after the Roe versus Wade. Uh, her statement was, I want New York State to become a destination state for abortions. I just turned it around and said, I wish Mrs. Hochul would concentrate more on good paying jobs, paying those, like we've been talking about with direct care workers, a fair wage, attracting new businesses, and retaining the businesses that we have here. That's what New York needs more of, because as I said, this is already codified in law in the state of New York. I have a question. Um, can you give me your thoughts on the uptick in the housing crisis and homelessness and your thoughts on transitional housing in Genesee County? Sure, just briefly, I, I do know that we have a number, have had and continue to have a number of new housing projects uh, uh, go up. Uh, there are a couple on uh, East Main Street. Uh, one is for veterans, uh, those that have served in the military, um, uh, and it's income-based. I think that the other one that's going up, a big one, uh, on Liberty Street in the city of Batavia, I'm sorry, on Ellicott Street in the city of Batavia, right just down the street from Liberty, uh, is the same income-based housing. Uh, homelessness continues to be an issue, uh, and a lot of it unfortunately has to do with mental illness or issues um, that are taking over one's persona, if you will, and their being. We need more mental health um, accessibility. We need to downplay uh, the stigma, if you will, associated with those that are seeking mental health uh, counseling. Uh, and I think that would have an awful, that availability and that accessibility 
would have an awful lot to do with decreasing those who are living on our streets or living in substandard housing. Steve, would you be in favor of Genesee County having a homeless shelter? I would have no problem with that whatsoever. Any questions from the Zoom room? Uh, Mr. Hawley, by, yes, <laughs> by happenstance of scheduling, uh, your opponent happened to be on a little while ago in this event. And she had said because of her work uh, in the field of mental health that she had come to have great respect for uh, the lived experiences of individuals with mental health diagnoses. And based on what you just said, it sounds as though you share that opinion. How would you embrace the feelings of that populace? Well, uh, I've also indicated that uh, the scourge and, uh, and crime, uh, especially the serious type crimes that are occurring in our, in our cities east and west of us and the horrific uh, Topps Market uh, in Buffalo occurrence, um, that we need to make all kinds of progress and hirings in the mental health field so that folks that do have uh, issues that are of grave concern, not only to themselves, to harm themselves, uh, but to harm other people. Um, and I do share uh, my opponent's uh, viewpoint that we uh, do need uh, to make more mental health programs available to, uh, to folks that need them. Oh, and uh, a question I had based on what you said earlier, the harrowing experience that you had with the gang fight outside your own home. I wonder if by any chance this makes you want to support stronger gun control measures. Well, uh, the reference that I made was not outside my own home. Uh, that was outside <clears throat> Congressman Zeldin's home uh, in Long Island. Uh, oh, sorry. Gang, yeah, where that gang fight occurred. Um, I believe that the types of gun control measures that are being, that have been implemented, uh, in New York state, whether it's the safe act, uh, whether it's the most recent spate of quote unquote, uh, gun laws to make our society better, uh, have in essence diluted the second amendment of the United States constitution. I can't remember. I would find, I, I was on the Evan Dawson WXXI radio program a while ago out of the Rochester area. And I started mm -hmm. to say to him when the question was, as you posted, um, vehicles don't drive them. And I stopped because as all of us know, we hear about and see that vehicles can actually now drive themselves. I wouldn't be comfortable doing yeah. it, but they can drive themselves. Uh, but I, but I maintain to this day that no law abiding citizen is going to put his or her index finger on a trigger of a gun and aim it and fire at another human being. These Law-abiding citizens are not the folks that are creating havoc in our streets. Havoc is being created by bad people wanting to do bad things to innocent people. And so more restrictions, making it more difficult to get a pistol permit, per se. The new law, which has, by the way, been found unconstitutional, as we said on the floor when these things came up at the end of June, these are unconstitutional. You cannot have restrictions on law-abiding citizens. They aren't the problem. And so to require 16 hours of training, not every five years, because now pistol permits are reissued every five years, now it's going to be three years, and you have to have 16 hours of training in a classroom 
and you have to pass a final a final exam, which is wonderful. But you don't need a 65. You don't need a 70. You don't need a 75. You need an 80 to pass. And you need two hours on a firing range every two years as well. If you've got an 80 or 90-year-old or 65-year-old or someone with developmental disabilities, this is unfair. And uh, these are just ways to try to get guns out of the hands of law-abiding citizen, citizens in violation of the Second Amendment of the United States Constitution. Um, Mr. Hawley, if, if I understood you correctly earlier, you said that at one point in time, you were on the board of independent living of the Genesee region. Is that correct? That is correct. Ah, then you should be keenly aware from that experience that centers for independent living across the Empire State have always uh, found it a challenge to get adequate funds, and we have been pushing for years to try to get the state allocation increased by $5 million. What is your stance on that? Well, again, I will tell you, um, I was elected in February of 2006 in a special election, right in the middle of the budget negotiations because the budget in the state is due uh, by April 1st, sometimes referred to as April Fool's Day. Um, mm -hmm. And I was used to being, as I said, I served on the Genesee County Legislature for eight years and I was used to a singular budget. And in the state of New York, there are between nine and 11 budget bills chock full of all kinds of good things and all kinds of bad things, if you will. Mm. And so you have, we have to look at each budget bill and, and whether you vote yes or no on any budget bill, you're going to be darned if you do and darned if you don't. So it's always a tough, tough fight, but I will uh, pledge as I always have uh, to support additional funding uh, for organizations like like you guys, the one I used to serve on back in the uh, back in the eighties, I think it was uh, when when the offices were over on uh, Cedar Street. Hey, thank you. Any additional questions, Mr. Holly? If you'd like to make any closing remarks, uh, we'll wrap up the day with you. Well, I just uh, want everyone to know uh, that it's the most uh, wonderful. Uh, thing to be able to serve other people, to truly be a representative uh, of the majority of people's wishes, uh, wants, needs, and desires. Um, you'll never please all the people all of the time, but I can tell you uh, that out knocking on doors in the village of Alexander last week, I had just knocked on a couple of ladies, uh, where two ladies lived uh, over on uh, Church Street in Alexander, and I was had gone by and, and they, we had said hello. And then I was coming back down the other side uh, of the street. And, and one of the ladies said, Mr. Hawley, can I talk to you for just a moment? I said, absolutely. So I crossed the street. And what I'm going to tell you is that her comments, in essence, reflect what I've tried to be as a true representative. When you, you get elected to a position, no matter whether it's in the city or the town or the village or the state or in Washington, D.C., you are elected to represent people, all kinds of people from all different backgrounds. And you don't represent a party when you're elected. You don't represent a Republican party only, a Democratic party only. You represent people. As a matter of fact, I go to when I go door to door, I go to every single door. I don't take a list with me. I make sure that I stop to talk to the people that I represent. And this lady called me over and she said, I just wanted you to know, Mr. Hawley, that we have always voted for you. We're both registered Democrats and we don't necessarily agree with every position that you take. But what we do like about you is that you listen to people, you help people, 
you're accessible to people and you're an honest, down-to-earth individual and you've never changed in all these 15 years. That's the kind of compliment that I take to heart. And that's why I continue to run for the New York State Assembly. Great, thank you. That wraps up today's Independent Living Meet the Candidates session. Uh, tune back in on Thursday at one o'clock uh, for our candidates for Niagara County area offices. Thank you and have a great day. Bye everybody, have a great day. Bye, thank Bye. you. Yay. <laughs> You've been listening to a special broadcast from the Niagara Frontier Radio Reading Service of the Independent Living Center of the Genesee Regions Meet the Canada State 2022. Thank you for listening.